0: Greetings once more, and welcome back to this, the Startup Survival Podcast, with me, your host, Peter Harrington. If you tuned into the first two episodes, you'll know this series' podcast theme focuses on entrepreneurial emotions, entitled Strength of Feeling. Series 3 is an exploration into the way entrepreneurs feel. In the first episode, my special guest, Alan Donegan, shared thoughts on the subject of anger. Then, Dr Claire Hookham revealed a few secrets about the world of surprise and how entrepreneurial thinkers can astonish and amaze. And in this show, I'm going to be catching up with the quite remarkable Steve Gwenin and quizzing him all about the issue of self-belief. You should know, a couple of years ago, when I was travelling outside the UK, I was part of a group at a restaurant and found myself sat next to Steve. We chatted all night, but a few hours was never going to be enough. I knew I had so many other questions I wanted to ask him. Steve, I discovered, had a strong environmental conscience, and with an appetite for adventure, he's been deeply involved with social entrepreneurship projects for many years all over the world. And Steve embodies the value of developing self-belief. Whether it's his stories of leading jungle projects, developing communities in wild and remote places, working with women who've been abused and trafficked, or handling some of the world's most dangerous snakes, I'm sure you're going to enjoy listening to Steve (music) Gwenin. But before Steve joins us, it's important to consider and start unpicking this issue of self-belief. To help me do this, I've delved into a number of resources. And to save you time, there is one that for me really stands out. It's a book called Personality Isn't Permanent by Benjamin Hardy. The subtitle encourages you to break free from self-limiting beliefs and rewrite your story. Be assured, this is not another pop psychology read, no. Hardy's text makes a number of key points, not least the fact that as humans, we decide who we want to be. Contrary to popular belief, our personalities are continuously evolving and the author takes no prisoners when labelling the multi-billion dollar personality testing industry as pseudoscience. To back up his claims, Hardy quotes key studies and also the work of psychologist Daniel Gilbert from Harvard University. Gilbert's research examines how young people's interests, goals and values changed in the previous decade. His work also showed that for most people in the study, things changed a lot. But interestingly, despite acknowledging the 10 years of transformation, most respondents anticipated only minor changes in their future. Apparently, this phenomenon is called the end of history illusion. In summary, humans have the ability to recognise change in the past, but we believe the point we have reached is where we will stay going forwards. Now, I'll, I'll have more gems from Benjamin Hardy to share as we venture through this episode with my special guest, Steve Gwenin. And since you're here to listen to him, let's introduce Steve and get him onto the show. For over 20 years, Steve Gwenin worked to develop and ultimately become the CEO of GVI, a social enterprise and multi award winning global organization. Steve has been at the heart of hundreds of personal and professional development programs, many of which have been in wild and remote areas, but all with a mind to develop people and help them find greater self-belief. Steve, I believe you are currently out in Cape Town. Delighted you can be here and join me on the Startup Survival podcast. Hey Peter, it's a real pleasure to, to be here. Now, Steve, before we get into your story and your thoughts on self-belief, can we take a moment to go back to that restaurant conversation I mentioned at the start of this show, and in particular the bit when you were telling me about your ability to handle snakes?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say necessarily I was I was happy, but it, uh, it, was, it was an inter- interesting time. So we were running as part of um, a global organisation that I was running at the time. Uh, we were doing conservation programs in in South Africa. And as part of those, we had paying volunteers come in and joining the program and we were running uh, reptile handling courses. So when I was up visiting the project and working with the staff and the volunteers, I joined one of those uh, courses. So we did all sorts of things. From uh, It started off quite quite easy uh, with uh, water monitors that were a little bit sleepy and hadn't warmed up yet and you had to sort of jump on them with a, with a blanket and, and capture them and then slowly progress to sort of non-venomous snakes up to up to the python and then when we uh when it became the time to try and capture the python and they're they're big Peter they're uh I don't know how long this one was but uh you know five six meters long maybe longer it's big it was a big one and um I think the 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 ranger who was training us but already I think he liked the idea that I was the CEO and trying to, trying to put me in, in difficult situations. So he was like, come on, Steve, you go, you go first, just run up behind it and grab its tail. So uh, very trustingly, I was like, all right, yeah, I'll do that. So I went up behind it and grabbed its tail. And of course the, the it it turned around and opened its massive mouth and its mouth, when when those jaws are open, probably about a, a foot um, between, between each jaw. And it came... Sort of reaching towards me, took a took a little snap, and I jumped back. And I uh, wasn't really expecting that because the, the ranger hadn't briefed me. Um, my heart was going a little bit, and then he said, "Do it again." <laughs> so I did, <laughs> and then same thing happened. And he goes, "Do it again." So he gone. So I jumped in there, tried to tried to grab it, and third uh, at the end of the third time, I, I'd realized. <laughs> That this was not going to be the way to capture the python, but uh, it was uh, it was
0: interesting and it was fun and it was memorable. And wasn't this experience the forerunner for working with extremely dangerous venomous snakes? Yeah, we ended up. Uh, part of it was re- it was really for 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 us and for the staff. If you if you see
1: a snake or volunteers have seen a snake, and if it's in the accommodations, etc can you safely capture that snake and remove it from the accommodations and take it back to the wild? So, uh, we, yeah, we worked with uh, spitting cobras and then ended up uh, with black black mambus, which uh, in South Africa are, are one of the most lethal ones. So um, there was a tree full of black mambus, and uh, my my task, and again, I had to go first <laughs> as the CEO, my task was to go up to, up to the tree with my snake-handling tongs, and uh, capture one of those black black mammoths, remove it from the tree and uh, from the from the area in a safe fashion. But uh, it really didn't work. These ones actually hadn't uh, hadn't been milked beforehand, so they were. I was a little bit I was a little bit nervous, as was the ranger. I could tell. I think he put me off a little bit. But after some struggling, I got a black mammoth down out of the tree, and it it was sort of swinging around, and his head was coming towards me, and he was trying to bite. And I think at that stage we realised. You know, maybe we've pushed this, uh, pushing the CEO as far as we should go at this stage.
0: But, all uh, oh, great learning and great memories. First-hand experience, Steve. What a way to challenge our understanding of our own abilities and our self-belief. And, Steve, you want to talk about this issue. Can you share why self-belief is your chosen subject for this podcast? I think for the for the basis of,
1: of this podcast and this series and and um sort of personal identities that are that are essential um for entrepreneurs, self-belief has got to be it's gotta be one of the biggest ones. I think as entrepreneurs, we we constantly as leaders, we constantly come across new challenges, things we haven't faced before, things obstacles to overcome. And without a degree of self-belief, we we stop, we procrastinate, we don't do anything, and we probably haven't even got the organisations started. So I think it's, it's such a, a key sort of inner strength that you need as an entrepreneur. And then from my background working with younger people, people that are developing, I've, I've done sort of 20-odd years in, in personal development with young people, with older, older people. Um, I, I just see it as such a key skill that people need, and I, I think without it, you don't take opportunities that come your way and therefore you don't get the, the results that you, that you want or the things that you're seeking. And you need some self-belief to be able to take those opportunities.
0: Uh, okay. And in reaching that conclusion, Steve, can you give listeners a context of the kind of work you have been doing and the people with whom you have worked over the last 20 plus years?
1: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I, I started out going to Mexico when GBI was, it was really small at the time. Um, that um, with a huge amount of self-belief, some of it perhaps unfounded. Eventually went well after the first five weeks. Um, and there we were remotely living in a, in a jungle base that we'd set up. Um, and that had about 30, 30 people uh, between staff, staff and participants. Um, that went well. Then I bounced over to, to um, I think I went down to the Amazon and worked there for a bit, set up a program in Costa Rica, in Seychelles. In Kenya, South Africa, some programs in Asia, um, helped to set up a program in, in Fiji. So I've ba- bounced around quite a bit, which has uh, just given me so many great experiences and, and challenges to go with them. And I guess overall, we've probably worked with about 30,000 people um, from all around the world, all, all different countries, all different cultures. And that's not including the community members that we work with. So including them as well. And we've worked a lot in sort of personal and professional development with the community members. It's, it's probably over 100,000. And what kind of work were you doing? Yeah, they were quite varied, quite holistic. I started, um, my background is actually marine biology. So when I went to Mexico, it was to set up a marine conservation programme. So it was coral reef research, um, mostly scientific-based, working with the local NGOs and the local national parks to supply them with data. We rapidly sort of became more holistic in our approach and worked in community development. So We were working with local poachers and giving them new skills to be able to access the tourism trade and the tourism dollar. Um, Some of the other programmes went more into terrestrial conservation, so rainforest research, working with various local communities within the rainforests and then as we became known in, in any given area we got invited in by other NGOs other community leaders to come and help in different topics so some of it was um, english language uh, to be able to access the tourism um, sort of trade uh, women's empowerment pro programs um, some health programs as well so uh, a whole range of different topics and it's really at the at, at the request of the local communities and partner organizations that were, that were present in the area. Um, if we thought we could uh, assist and help them to help themselves, then uh, we'd do what we could to, to give them a hand.
0: Okay, and, and having had all this experience and worked with so many people, you'll have seen many change and grow. But before we consider how people develop or lose self-belief, what's your definition of the subject? Yeah,
1: I think it's it's really important at, at this stage to talk about it because I think a lot of people confuse self-belief with with confidence and I I see very much a, a line between the two. So self-belief is more of a, an actual belief something you believe to be true about yourself, about your identity. Um so it's just that it's a it's a belief. It's formed through exposure, experience, information. Um often it's formed when you're younger. Um, every, every second, Peter, we get about 11 million um, different bits of information enter, entering our brain from what we see, what we feel, what we hear. And when, when you're young, you're trying to make sense of all of that information. A lot of those decisions that you're making about the world around you and about yourself are, are subconscious. I think about 95% of all the decisions we make are, are subconscious. So those decisions can be either sort of positive and can, can help us or, or serve us, such as self-belief, or negative and hold us back, such as self-doubt. So they all lead to sort of emotions and actions that then we take forward. So as, as we've gone through various experiences, as we've gone from our younger selves and be, being young and working with our, our, working, working with our parents and our, our teachers and hearing what they've said, um, we've translated what that's meant to us at that time and used it to form beliefs about our, our
0: capabilities. Uh huh. And when people look to change their lives for example thinking about or actually starting a new business how do you advise people develop self-belief?
1: It's really hard to change your sort of internal beliefs and I think that um, not everybody wants to either but if you've got people that are already at the stage where they're taking on a new challenge there's a there's a degree of 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 willpower and a decision already that's been made to take on a new challenge and they might be really scared by it they might be displaying confidence which is is slightly different confidence is um it's more of an emotion rather than an inner belief um and therefore it's a, it's a little bit more shakeable, and it's very much dependent upon circumstance and situation so you can be confident in in one situation but not confident in a in another uh situation whereas inner belief is more more of the foundation so if you think of it like a tree you've got the the roots and perhaps the the trunk and then you've got the branches and the leaves so that self-belief is really the foundation the roots and the trunk there and the, the leaves and the branches can get blown around by the wind and knocked down so people often they're coming out or taking on a new a new challenge which is is a large one for them um they might be displaying some confidence or or lack of confidence in certain situations um but if they've got that inner self belief they're prepared to give it a go even
0: if they're not confident about
1: it they're prepared to to give it a go
0: uh, okay so to be clear confidence and self belief are different things yes
1: yeah yeah one's one's an inner belief in your in yourself Um, that you can overcome those challenges. Um, And one is, well, and confidence itself, it's different forms of confidence. There's sort of two main types, but it's it's more situational and circumstance-based.
0: So does this explain why some people who appear to be full of self-confidence don't necessarily walk the walk when the moment of truth arises?
1: Yeah, I think it could be one. It could be one of the reasons. I think in in a certain circumstance, if you're in a, a group meeting, someone might may come across really confident and, and bullish, but then in another circumstances, you then move on to a specific activity or task. They don't really have a lot of confidence in that area, but they've got confidence in others. We see it a lot in um, in uh, you know performers who so can be really confident in one situation and, and really quite timid and, and scared and find challenges in in other situations that uh, perhaps don't challenge others.
0: Uh-huh coming back Steve I can see how people develop confidence to do something because they develop skills but how do they develop self belief
1: I think really the uh if you want to change you either your 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 confidence um your natural confidence or your your self belief really that it's it's the same starting place it's the actions so with confidence um you know, a way to think about it is that your thoughts lead to your emotions and your emotions lead to your actions or lack of actions. Um, and then your results sort of lead back to further thoughts as a cycle. And, and with self-belief, there's a very similar cycle and it's really your, your potential, what you know, what you could or might do is that leads to your, your thoughts about what you're going to do, your actions about what you will or will not do and your results. So if, you're, if you lack self-belief, your potential is more limited, your thoughts are more limited, your actions and, and your results. If you have self-belief, again, your potential is is then much larger. Your thoughts are, are larger about where you could go, what you could do, your actions will end up larger and your and your results. Now it's really hard to change your your thoughts. We all most of us have, have had nights where we've lain <laughs> in bed uh, worrying about something at, at uh, two 8 2 a.m. and it doesn't really change change anything. And it, we often say, I'll, "I'll try and deal with it in the morning." <laughs> so it's the actions that actually is the easiest place to intervene and and change something. And then that gives different results, and you start to see it. So it almost opens up a, a a door, a new pathway, a new way of thinking, um, and that those results then that start to challenge that that belief so if you've got a lack of belief you take an action you get a a result it might even be a small one but it starts to just open that door a little bit like it's possible for me to do this I thought I thought I wasn't good enough I can see that I can I can do here I can do this then you take another action and another action and each time review it and sort of really understand that I have taken this action. I do have this potential. Your thoughts start to change, your actions start to change, and, and your results as well.
0: So, Steve, are you saying that if someone is not prepared to take action, the chances of them changing their self-belief is really limited?
1: Yeah, for sure. But it's almost, it's almost the wrong way to, to think about it. If I'd, I'd switch it on its head. If someone doesn't have self-belief, yes, they're unlikely to take actions, but the way that they could get more self-belief is to start taking some actions that can be hard people people uh, those beliefs are very strongly held they've been developed you know, over over a lifetime and um, when you have those beliefs and we've all got we've all got different sort of beliefs that, that either help us we're using the term self-belief so it's, it's relevant here but it either helps us yeah. or, it, or if it's negative it holds us back so we need to sort of challenge that think, is that is that actually real and if 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 when you do challenge people that have a bit of a lack of self belief it's a really really held it's a really strongly held be- belief and you almost need to present evidence and and people will resist that when when they're getting this various information when their mind subconsciously has decided that they're not good enough or or that you know they're not going to be able to achieve these things um when they get new information they either delete it if it goes against what they believe um or they distort it to fit into into what they believe um so that that or or they sort of really generalize about what that information that's coming away they make it general so it's not specific and it doesn't actually apply or contradict what they believe
0: Steve's words remind me of my younger days as a volunteer outdoor instructor. The terror I witnessed on some teenage faces prior to a rock climbing session. Yet in so many cases, these people went through a transformation of self-belief, literally as they climbed. Reaching the top, proud faces dressed in astonishment, smiles and the occasional tear said it all. By taking action, people became different people. They overcame something they had previously not thought possible. The homegrown enemy of self doubt had been confronted and conquered. So let's get back to Steve on this issue. Steve, whether it's the thought of starting a business or doing something new and different, why do younger people especially struggle sometimes with self belief? It's almost always things
1: that have happened think well, it is, it's based on their experiences but it, within experiences I'd include you know what's what's been said and a lot of it has just been misinterpreted it's information that's come to them that their brains played with and and translated into one way or another so um, a great a, a, i mean a really classic example is is parents telling their kids and I've done this like I think we all we probably all most parents have you know don't don't do that it's dangerous don't take that risk this may happen and that might be we're presenting them with a worst case scenario not necessarily what's likely to happen but that sort of information goes in and then as we move forward or as, as the child moves forward uh, there's more you know it's decided right risk is is bad, really bad things are going to happen if I take this small, smaller risk. So a big part of the programs I used to run was actually really challenging that. And we used to look at, you know, that, that we were working in jungles, we were, we were working in remote communities, in uh, you know supposedly dangerous places, but they're just like anywhere else, where there, you know, there's inherent risk absolutely everywhere. So it's looking at what, what are the real risks? What, what's really dangerous? How do we control those? Um, and sort of helping people to really get a better sense of assessing risk and then controlling the risks that were there that fitted into the objective. So as an entrepreneur, if you're really clear about your objective, you want to do this and you want to make it forward, you want to take those forward steps and develop that, that company. Um, if you've got a really clear objective, it's much easier to assess what the risks are and, and, and I think start then to focus on what, what is the worst case but what's actually likely? Because that's a that's a very different thing. And then try and build the confidence to take small small steps towards that, review them. Has it gone well? So it's actually in some ways good practice. It's like testing a new product. Don't <laughs> not jump in all in um in, what, in one go and going to market and, and spending thousands. Sort of test it as as you go, look at the results, re reevaluate your own beliefs and and sort of start editing those beliefs. If you see the product working, if you see your steps are working, and then that's starting to change your own sort of inner, inner belief.
0: Uh-huh. And as a, as a side thought, Steve, the issue of health and safety in the UK has come to the fore in recent times. Do you think the culture change has affected or impeded people's development of self-belief?
1: I think definitely. There's no question in my mind. I mean, I've, I've been lucky enough to travel around and, and live and, and work in different places. I'm, I'm from the UK. Um, And a bit like Australia, a bit like the the US, it's become very, very health and safety conscious. And I think that obviously there's some wins out of there, but the way risk is managed is often misunderstood. Um, And I think what happens is the ability for people to be able to take calculated risks, assessed risks, um, is is massively reduced. And I, I also think I talked earlier about generalization. So there's a there's there's a lot of generalizing going on. Doing this is dangerous or going to that place is dangerous. Or if you if you go here, that's that's really dangerous. And uh, the media is so strong and so heavy and so constant that can't help but affect people's subconscious decision making. So I think that really does affect their their willingness to to take risk, to take uh, sort of managed risks, and their what their assumed worst-case scenario is really, really bad, even though what's likely probably isn't that, isn't that bad.
0: Yeah, and so is it fair to say people worry unnecessarily about the wrong things? Um, I think that they
1: assume and make the assumption that the likelihood of something really bad happening is much greater than it actually is.
0: I'll be talking with Steve again in a moment. But before I do, let's go back to Benjamin Hardy and his book, Personality Isn't Permanent, because that text makes another very relevant point. Hardy references a tweet made by a US college student, which was shared over 130,000 times. So what was shared on the Twitter sphere? Forcing students to present in front of the class was making them anxious and by implication, making students anxious by doing something challenging is not a good thing. But, Hardy argues, unless as people we aspire to work outside of our comfort zones, we don't grow, we don't develop our capacity. If we only support and encourage people to do things with which they feel comfortable, we hinder their long-term growth and negatively impact self-belief systems. This is all good food for thought and an appropriate link into the next part of this podcast because I want Steve to share his practical experience so we can learn how he got out of his comfort zone and, importantly, helped others to do the same. Steve, when we doubt ourselves, the action of others can often be the inspiration, the catalyst to move us forward and develop our self-belief. Does your experience in the field support this notion?
1: Oh, I, I think a number of stories. Um, let me think of, of one. We had uh, we had a, a young girl come out to to Mexico. Actually, I think that's maybe why I remember it was one of my uh, one of my earlier volunteers. And she she turned up for a ten week program doing coral reef research. So she'd have to learn to to dive, identify all the corals, be on boats a lot, um, fill dive tanks, all all of that sort of stuff. Um, she'd never snorkelled before and she knew that she she um, was prone to seasickness um but her belief that she'd be able to get through it like it had been discussed before she came out and she came out and and she did it and she was hugely challenged throughout the time she she, she was seasick um a, a lot the snorkeling was a bit of a struggle for her um but we did um we did get her we used her up in the scuba diving. She got out and she did coral reef research and she made it work. And I, I don't think I've seen many, many examples. I've seen lots, but that, that one really blew me away because it was one of the first times I'd really seen how much the programs could develop the, the participants joining them. It wasn't why I, I joined GVI. I joined very much for conservation and community development. And I, to be honest with you i hadn't really it wasn 't one of my objectives was developing the participants that was coming out, but it was something I took a lot of joy from and, and since so it's something i 've actually really focused upon is, is personal development of the community members but of the of the participants joining programs as well
0: yeah, and, and Steve, thinking back to this young woman, what were the spurs that drove change again it's, it was
1: it was step by step um it was taking a, a small a small action like when we first got a snorkeling that was that was tough um and it sounds like a small bin but it, but it, the circumstances are different for everyone so when she once she got the hang of that and she got through that um that was great and then when we took her out, out on the boat she was <laughs> she was seasick for the poor girl up a, a number of times um but she started to adapt to that a little bit could uh I say survive in tougher conditions, tougher sea conditions. So each time she got just a little bit more belief about what her capabilities were and what she was capable of or not capable of, and it just kept expanding and kept adding to that. And we we sat down, we made the point of sort of sitting down with her after each each even negative or positive experience, and sort of saying, right, if it's negative, how could we? You know, what did we learn from that? And how can we approach it differently so that that helps to sort of reinforce the, the confidence or belief that it can be done and it obviously if it was if it was positive and you're taken a good step forward again sort of reviewing that reflecting upon it and making sure that that, that was really un- understood and in going
0: into that thought process so this mentoring reflective role has real value yeah absolutely i mean all of the all of the programs
1: um, ended up, and I don't think we really understood this in in the early days, um, but I think as, as maybe glo- global community knowledge grew, um, if we want to create change in people, it's got to be about empowerment. So with the communities we were working with, we had the same principles. It wasn't us doing it for people. It was us helping and supporting people to do it for themselves. And the same principles applied to The participants that were coming out we could support them we could help them to help themselves like we couldn't do it for them if you do that you sort of you don't end up with any long-term significant change but by helping people to help themselves and empower themselves then those changes can become more long-term so when we're thinking about how to develop ourselves we've got to take on those challenges now we might look around and see what resources are there and who can support or, or help us. But we've got to take on those challenges. We've got to learn from them and we've got to sort of change our, our, our beliefs or our, our emotions as we move forward.
0: Yeah, thanks for that, Steve. I really like the point you were making about empowering others so they develop the necessary self-belief systems. But did you ever have a situation where your belief of what others could achieve backfired on you? That's a good question, Peter. Um, Yeah, I, I once set up a,
1: or helped to set up a program down in Kenya, um, and it was a mix of community development and conservation, and marine conservation, and we had a quite a choice around where to put the base, where to locate the base. Um, there was a, a small island off, offshore, off the coast of Kenya, down in... Um, down in the south, and there was a community based on there, and there's a marine reserve around that island, but close to that island on the mainland was another another community. Um, And I felt strongly that if we were going to be working closely with communities, which we had to be for the the project to succeed in in its aims, we should actually be on the on the island and and sort of living and, and working closer to that community to get a better relationship with them. And that if we were on the mainland with the other community, we, we wouldn't have um, such a good relationship with the guys sort of offshore on the island. Partly, partly, I've got to be honest, looking back, it might have been due to my, my sense of adventure and trying to make the impossible happen as well. Um, so anyway, despite um, we had lots of discussions amongst uh, myself and the, the staff team on the ground about what was most practical. There was no water on that island. Oh, there was lim- limited drinking water and, it's, and seasonally there was no water. Um, and obviously the logistics and, and supply, et cetera, was much harder as well. So after a lot of uh, discussion and encouragement, we decided to, to put the base on the island um and it was workable it was and it did work for i think about eight months but after eight months the the message came back this is just brutal the logistics is so hard and we're spending so much time on logistics please can we move the base back to the across to the mainland um where logistics are going to be easier and we will still work with that community and we've got relationships now but really it's it's so hard to maintain and i guess i think they're what Definitely, I I, sw- I tried to persuade the team, and I succeeded. I, I swayed them that it was possible, that it would be it would be magic, that it would be really hard to do. But I, I do like a challenge, um, and I think the team the team bought into it. But as as new members joined the team, they didn't buy into it so much. So uh, yeah, I think that that was a, a mistake on on my behalf of trying to trying to push my self belief and and sort of my 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 dream or willingness to accept tougher and tougher challenges on, onto others who, who, weren't, uh, who weren't buying into it
0: at the time. <laughs> yeah, and is there a lesson there for entrepreneurs who are getting their businesses off the ground?
1: Yeah, I think, I don't know about getting them off the, off the ground. I think there's a definite lesson in, in leadership um, in terms of, have you listened closely enough? Did you seek, see feedback in the right way? Like if people tell you what what you want to hear, they know what you want to hear and they tell you what you want to hear. So have you actually asked the right questions in, in the right way? And have you listened enough? Because um, everyone voiced it at some point in those conversations, but I sort of, oh, I've got to be honest, I've probably bad, battered them down <laughs> and thought, thought I had agreement when when I had reluctant agreement, but not the commitment that was going to be necessary to overcome the challenge.
0: Yeah and and finally Steve if I may have your travels taken you to a challenging place or situation where your work to help rekindle self-belief has been really difficult
1: Yes um in Nepal we have a community development program and there we're we're working with various community members and various NGOs Um, that are trying to tackle some of the issues that they have on the ground in in Nepal. Um, And one of those NGOs is um, working upon human trafficking, um, which is an issue in in Nepal. Um, And it's the NGOs, a local NGO, and they're working really hard to address it. So we we don't actually work with people that have been trafficked themselves um at that stage but we do work with some people with some of the staff and there's one particular staff member that they have who has been trafficked herself um so she obviously went through a huge amount of of, of trauma um and a, an abuse she was uh effectively a, a slave sexually abused and she came through that experience um, and is now actually working with current victims to help them find more self, self-belief self themselves. So she's gone through a huge, a huge journey where she, you know, she had utterly no sense of self-belief at all. A complete lack of self-worth was, was her sort of thoughts and feelings about herself. And she's, she's managed to grow that bit by bit and change that belief about herself um Where she's now able to help others and taking forward steps she's been involved in in recordings in training workshops, et cetera that she's led herself, so I think that's probably one of the most powerful examples of uh someone changing their own self belief
0: oh, I can't imagine the trauma she must have gone through. Are you able to shed any further light as to how she worked through her recovery?
1: Not in huge detail um obviously support i think was a, a huge part of it people showing her and and giving her effectively new evidence about about her her worth the that, pe- that people did care for her that, that she was worth something um and that those small bits of evidence started to add up and then and then yeah literally just taking small steps about how she was treating herself, how others were treating her. And it's all just new information coming in and and challenging those beliefs that that she was holding as a result of her, as a direct result of uh, her dreadful experience.
0: Steve, Taking the last bit of this story and putting it in a startup context, entrepreneurs are often not good at asking for support, even though external help is often a critical key that opens the door to move us forward. To get support, you've got to be open about the fact there's a problem, haven't you? I think,
1: yeah, recognizing, actually being aware of, of your belief, especially if it's one that's not serving you, being aware of that, being willing to then to challenge it, I think that that's you know being being aware of it's probably the most important first step because often the, the beliefs are so strongly held that as I think we talked about earlier that that uh, people are resistant to change. They don't they almost don't want to change them because it, it's going to ruin everything you've you've believed throughout your life. <laughs> you believe that you're you're not good enough to overcome something or. Or you're not clever enough, etc. And you get all this information, so you delete it and distort it, or generalise it, and and reinforce that belief. And then when someone starts to challenge that, or helps you to challenge it, people often re- really resist it strongly at, at, uh, initially. So it sort of it almost has to be done step by step, and you open a a, a, a crack in the mind, a new a new thought a new way of thinking little bit by little bit and all that that evidence slowly comes in so I guess trying to put it into whether it's an entrepreneur or whether it's someone that's uh, trying to overcome a a very different sort of personal challenge it's it's that building up step by step of evidence and actually actually being willing recognizing the challenge and being able to take a small action and gain new evidence about what you're capable of
0: listening to steve talk reminded me again of my meeting with professor andy peneluna in episode one in series two professor peneluna talked about the brain speed and ultra efficiency the brain doesn't like to use any unnecessary energy unless it has to as a result it is very easy for our brains to become lazy translated into the current context and what Steve is talking about, unless we want to actively work towards a change of thinking and a change of self-belief, our brain will happily maintain the status quo. So out of interest, do you have any further thoughts on this, Steve? As we talked about before, the
1: 95% of the decisions that you make um, are done subconsciously. So then if you need to take your more conscious brain and investigate what those decisions were and why they were made and whether they were right or wrong. That's, you, that, that uses a lot of that energy that you're talking about.
0: Uh-huh. Now, Steve, it's been an absolute pleasure having you here, but I must ask you two final questions before I let you go. Firstly, we have talked about lacking and developing self-belief, but can a startup, an entrepreneur, have too much self-belief and is that a dangerous thing?
1: Oh, that's such a great question, Peter. Um you do need a lot of self self-belief. I think you need to either have it or or develop it as as you're starting a new a new company. It can, I guess it can be dangerous if you if you if you've got too much. Um because then you would you would start to ignore some of the the basic principles that you need to have in place. You know, you'd believe so much in what you were saying and what your line of thought was—that you'd potentially be risking money, time, the, the trust of others, respect of others—if you—if you were wrong. So um, you need that self-belief, but it shouldn't—it shouldn't replace the basic principles that you also need. I think uh, one of your earlier guests in series two, I think it was Diane Kanda, was talking around the the need to test the market, test the product, speak to the customers. Um, and if it's the same with my mistake that I made when I with the island in Kenya, I didn't get the right feedback. I didn't hear it. I didn't listen to it, I didn't react to it because I believed that we could set up on that island and we could charge charge forward and it, it was going to be really difficult, but we could make it happen and it would be great. And I think unless everyone else believes as well, that's going to be that's going to be hard to achieve and if you're if you're wrong with your your self belief or the direction that you want to go then yeah it can it can cost you and other people time and money then you start to people start to lose lose trust in you and respect for you
0: Thank you, Steve. Through this podcast, you've shared so much from your work within GVI. And I'm also aware that whilst you still maintain ties with the organisation, you are now also setting up your own company, Surfer's Life Club. And I'll be saying a little more about this uh, before we close. Uh, But for now, I just have one final question I need to ask you. As you know, I, I give guests the opportunity to recommend a resource on the podcast subject. Do you have a book, a film or any tips? that you'd like to share with listeners?
1: The most useful resource I've, I've had has really been the support network. So a number of mentors um, to be able to bounce ideas off and, 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 and talk about the challenges I'm facing and, and help me to get the mindset to o- overcome them and to take them on. Um, and then in terms of tips, it's, it's taking those actions. So you can sit and procrastinate or you can just take an action and move forward and develop that self-belief as you go.
0: Steve, genuinely it's been an absolute pleasure and delight having you here on the Startup Survival Podcast. Thank you so much.
1: Uh, that's, that's awesome, it's been great to be here Peter, it's always,
0: uh, always good chatting to you. How delightful to be able to talk with Steve, Definitely someone who embraces and tackles life as well as snakes with gusto and exuberance. If you enjoyed listening to Steve's Global Adventures, check out GVI, the experiential education organisation he helped to develop over 20 years. And if you sense you share Steve's philosophy on life and want to hear more from him then check out his new venture. Providing coaching courses and community support, the Surfers Life Club helps entrepreneurs, senior managers and executives to work less and surf more. His website isn't live until next month, but he has asked that you know you can reach out to him via social media. Just check out Steve Gwenin. that's G-W-E-N-I-N, to learn more. Meantime, I really hope that in some small way this podcast has shed some light on key issues and provided you with some new reference points. Of course, if you think you have valuable insight to share on a specific emotion and you are listening to this podcast in the early months of 2022, then you may be just the person we are looking for to feature on this show. To find out more about being a guest, then visit dot simventure.com forward slash podcast guest. In the next episode, I'm going to be joined by Richard Hughes-Jones, an entrepreneur who suffers from anxiety and in recent years has really been through the mill. So if you want to relax whilst Richard shares his stress and worries with me, tune in to episode four, which is due to be published on Thursday, the 24th of February. So, all of this just leaves me to bring this episode to a close. Grateful nods to Duncan, my producer, and to Scylla for all her research and editorial support. And of course, thank you to our special guest, Steve Gwenin, for sharing his time and helping us to recognise how we can develop our own self-belief. Don't forget, your podcast feedback is not just welcomed, it's needed. Share what you really like and let me know what needs to be improved. I'd love to hear from you. My name's Peter Harrington, and this has been your SimVenture-sponsored Startup Survival Podcast. Go well, stay safe, and thank you.